0: You've got opinions, man. We're all entitled to them, but I never asked. So let me thank you for your time
1: and try not to waste any more of mine. Get out of here fast. Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson, and welcome to the first day of summer. If the last week is any indication, we are in for a long, hot one for summer 2020. For now, though, I hope you're somewhere cool taking in this week's show because we have a great lineup of ladies as usual. Post-traumatic stress disorder has been referred to as the next pandemic once COVID-19 subsides, particularly for our first responders and frontline healthcare workers. Dr. Katty Kamkar is joining me to share the signs of PTSD, some tips for prevention, and what we can expect long term. Being a single mother is an isolating experience to begin with, but throw in a pandemic, and that feeling is intensified a thousand times for single mothers everywhere, which is why Natasha Rose was inspired to start the Single Moms Buddy Program. She joins me to share how a small support group started in Ottawa has exploded in popularity across the country. Anne Brody brings us the best of what's new in entertainment this week for Saturday Night at the Movies including an anthology completely recorded in isolation. You knew it was coming. Let's face it, we could all use a little more laughter in our lives right now. Carla Collins joins me all the way from California to share her comic meditation program, which combines laughter with mindfulness and how you can join in from home. Sport participation levels for girls is showing a dramatic decrease. Joining me today to discuss the why behind this shift is Allison Sandmeyer Graves, Chief Executive Officer of Canadian Women and Sport. And finally, I'm replaying an interview with two mothers whose children contracted PANDAS, a condition all mothers need to be aware of even in the middle of a pandemic. I'm so happy you're here Let's hear what she said right now on 105.9 The Region. Katty Kamkar is a clinical psychologist in Toronto. To name but a few of her many accomplishments, she is an assistant professor within the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto, chair of the Canadian Psychological Association Traumatic Stress Sector, co-chair of Global Law Enforcement and Public Health Association, and has been part of the federal PTSD Act Advisory Committee for the development of PTSD federal framework. To put it mildly, Dr. Katty Kemkar is an expert on PTSD, and she joins me today to discuss what we're looking at when it comes to our frontline workers as it relates to COVID-19. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kemkar. It's, uh, it's a sincere honor and pleasure. Thank you heartily. Uh, I know that you're very busy because this is a big topic right now.
2: So let's talk about how you, first of how do you define PTSD? And thank you for covering that topic. It has always been very important, but especially now, especially as, as we know, the mental health needs have been on the rise. So trauma and stressor-related disorder, and in particular, as we often hear, post-traumatic stress disorder and PTSD, is the exposure to death, whether it could be direct or a threatened death, um, a serious injury, um, violence, and sexual violence. And it also involves, so here, either we are exposed to traumatic event or to death, we, we might witness a traumatic event occurring to loved ones. It could be family, close friends, and in this case, it has to be violent or accidental. And it also includes um, repeated exposure to trauma or its intense exposure to aversive details of traumatic events that we often hear. So it could be for first responders collecting human remains or constantly being exposed to child exploitation. Um, so these are the very much the, some of the core criteria of PTSD but I think what's helpful is also for people to become familiar about one of the main cluster of symptoms so uh, there are four main cluster of symptoms but in PTSD is very individualized so people will have their own individualized map so the first one is as we say re-experiencing symptoms of trauma so it could be intrusive thoughts or images it could be nightmares or flashbacks or a sense of relieving the event uh, the second one is avoidance symptoms so we might want to avoid anything triggering anything that would really mind us, it could be locations, people, conversation. The third one, as we call, is alterations in our mood and cognition. So for example, it could be um, persistent, um, experiencing persistent negative emotions, difficulty experiencing any positive emotions, feeling emotionally distant, or exaggerated negative belief about ourselves, it could be about others, it could be about the world, reduced interest in many activities. The final cluster, arousal symptoms, it could be um, reckless behavior, self-destructive behavior, outburst of anger, also hypervigilance, so constantly being on guard for signs of threat or danger, feeling excessively jumpy, and difficulties with sleep and concentration. It's very normal to have all those reactions, very normal. It's when they increase over time, create more distress over time, interfere with our functioning, this is when very important to seek help.
1: So you and I recorded a longer podcast before we did this interview, and we talked at length about this topic. I encourage people to go listen to that. But you mentioned uh, compassion fatigue, which I had never heard of before. So I'm curious if you can tell us what compassion fatigue is. Yes,
2: and compassion fatigue can definitely increase our risk for PTSD. We can either have compassion fatigue um, uh, concurrently with PTSD, or we might have it without PTSD. Nevertheless, it can increase the risk for PTSD. And what's interesting is that the symptoms of Compassion fatigue can be very similar to the symptoms of PTSD. And compassion fatigue is especially present in human service professions, so in human care profession. It's the stress that results from the traumatized individual rather than the trauma. So it's when we might have this intense preoccupation and the tension with the physical or emotional pain of the ones we are trying to help rather than the trauma itself so for example it could be look at the suffering I'm seeing the family crying what's gonna to happen to them so it's a success dwelling and preoccupation it could be rumination and and it can lead to of course it can increase the risk for burnout as well but it can lead to become maybe overly sensitive or maybe not being sensitive anymore because we might feel totally numb um, totally feeling disconnected which can also then that's why it can increase the risk for burnout but it can also to self blame and a host of other symptoms very similar to uh, PTSD and some of the same symptoms very similar to depression as well.
1: So I've I've heard it said that, you know, we're expecting sort of this second pandemic and I put that in quotes of, you know, uh, PTSD with our front care workers after the pandemic. Do you see that coming or do you see sort of a different, uh, that we're handling it well within Canada right now with our frontline workers?
2: I think that we certainly always, as always, we need more research to have, uh, you know, better confirmation in terms of, you know, in terms of the numbers, in terms of the statistics and so on. Nevertheless, we do know from um, everything going on right now that the mental health needs are on the rise. We certainly know that there is a lot of stress, especially that it's a new routine every time. It's a new normal every time. We need to adjust every time and also with any new normal and new routine, the is this inherent threat uh, that we all exposed to it's a pandemic era so that means that our fight and fight response more often than not is activated so we touch something when we talk the physical distancing so there is an active threat the alarm system is activated more often than not that can also lead to more fatigue certainly in um, in a human service profession, frontline health worker, of course, in addition to um, the exposure to, um, it could be, you know, traumatic incidents, there's also the context that it's um, important to appreciate, and the context is that it could be a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, um, death happening, it could be concern, it could be about equipment, it can also be the, the fear of themselves uh, contracting the virus, spreading it to the loved one, um, the family not being able to also often be with the patients when they're suffering or maybe during the final hours. So there is a lot of pressure. All of those additional stressors, especially if chronic, can increase our vulnerability to physical health conditions and mental health conditions. Definitely PTSD can be one of them, but also it's, it's anxiety disorders it could be. It can also be depression. So a variety of other mental health needs that are we want to appreciate. And we need to take care of
1: our frontline workers, obviously, uh, you know, they're doing such a good job taking care of us. So where can they turn right now uh, for the help that they need?
2: Where are there, What are the resources you recommend? So there are a variety of uh, many, many resources and always, you know, knowing where to go for trusted and reliable websites. So just to name very few. Of course, there is a Center for Addiction and Mental Health, the Kamehameha website has great resources, for great readings, um, self-help, but and also how to get in touch to have also treatment as well. There is the Canadian Psychological Association website, there is the Ontario Psychological website, Ontario Psychological Association website as well, there is the Anxiety Canada, and I, I would say that these are great places to start, and of course we all know one thing leads to another, but great place to start. But for people to you know, no one is alone. No one is alone.
1: I think that's such an excellent point. You know, I think people get this feeling like, well, I must be the only one feeling it. Uh, but that's absolutely not the case right now, especially during this pandemic. That is not the case. Uh, I, you did mention one thing, and I just want to go back to it because you mentioned in the podcast, I feel it's important to mention on the radio here, is about, you know, that
2: that step of self-care. So important, right? That we often, we might dismiss it, minimize it. Healthy, balanced uh, meals, so important. Um, has a direct impact on our health and our mood. But especially whenever we are on the tight shift and we might work, you know, it could be patient after patient. So in just like a front health worker, so preparing our meal ahead of time, um, Having a balance meal very important, staying hydrated. Any exercise, stretching, uh, can make wonders. Integrating two minutes, one minute, two minute, a stretching here or there, especially between the shift. Also, any 15 minute um, uh, walk a day, maintaining our physical distancing, that, that's just something we need to mention. We know that through research, three, four times a day, we walk for our 15 minute uh, day for a walk can make them um, so helpful. But also around seeking support as we have talked about and some of the other key strategies as well, self kindness, Catching ourselves whenever we are judging ourselves, uh, using our senses uh, to bring ourselves back to the moment, to the reality, to the here and now, and also the humanity too. So realizing we are human beings, there's always imperfection coming as part of human beings and um, normalizing those things too, because they're all part of self-compassion. And self-compassion is a relationship with yourself during difficult time. And now more than ever, very important to practice it.
1: Dr. Kamkar, I thank you so much for your time. This was wonderful.
2: Thank you from the heart for having me and thank you so much for all you do.
3: More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Rise up,
1: and do it a thousand
0: times again.
1: My next guest is not new to single parenthood. Being married and divorced twice, she found herself a single mom on three separate occasions. She remembers the isolation and feelings of inadequacy around trying to support herself, maintaining her own mental health while providing financially and caring for her two children. Natasha has no family support in her hometown of Ottawa, so relied on her community and friendships to form a sense of connection. At the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, Natasha Rose, a transitional coach, saw posts on moms groups from single moms in need of resources, food and supplies, and felt compelled to take action, and quickly got to work launching the Single Moms Buddy program, bridging the gap between isolation and connection. Welcome to the show, Natasha. Thank you. This is such a fantastic idea. I absolutely love it. So,
4: Tell me um, a little bit more about it. Yeah, so essentially April 4th, the day that it all began, the small idea. Um, I don't think it would have happened if I thought about it too much. I think if I, it was just one of those things I just ran with. Um, I always say I don't think it was me, I think it was divine intervention. Um, so yeah, I was up with my pajamas on, my coffee in my hand, and doing the Facebook scroll that we often do, you know, the mindless Facebook scroll came across a photo of a woman that was in tears and, you know, I stopped and read the, the post and it was essentially her trying to go get some groceries at a local area grocery store had to bring her children and bypassers were stopping, basically telling her she was irresponsible and um, I just couldn't believe that it was happening. And I went back to, you know, my days of being a single parent, which weren't long ago. And I could feel in my heart the way you would feel, um, already feeling probably pretty shame-based and with very limited resources, that would have been me. So I thought, you know what, this is not acceptable. Like, we have to do more to change this. And how can we do this? And I don't know wh- how or why, but the Single Mom Buddy program Just popped in my head. Um, Initially, like I had said, it was supposed to just be a (laughs) Canada-based initiative that I was, you know, trying to see if we could get single moms together and support one another. But as soon as I started the group, I was having requests from all over Ottawa. Is this in Orleans? Is this in Barhaven? Is this in Constance Bay? And I I, I have to admit, I got fairly overwhelmed at how quickly and how um, popular it got Uh, every single day. Like, I was getting requests, or you know, interview requests. Um, as far as like, I the Kelly Clarkson show out of Los Angeles reached out to me for their Good Neighbor campaign. Uh, so there was obviously a niche, and there was obviously a need for something like this in our community.
1: So, how many people are in your group now? Then,
4: uh, I think I looked this morning. I think it's close to probably four hundred ten. Wow. four hundred ten people. Yeah.
1: That's Sorry. impressive considering you started April 4th uh, yeah. and, you're still at, and you're just
4: now at June. And I don't really push it very much. Oftentimes I'll share it. But at, and the, in the beginning, people were coming in so quickly. I think within two days, I had over 100 and some women come in and, and I, I was trying to match people and I realized that I wasn't going to be able to do that long term because I've, as people come in, I'm only one person and, and matching people you know, solo is pretty difficult. So um, it kind of just morphed into a sort of like an organic matching. So we have a, a buddy matching system that we use called a need buddy and a support buddy. So an NB or an SB. So if you're a single mom who needs a buddy, you'd put NB Canada, And then if you're a support buddy who wants to support a single mom, you'd put SB Canada. So then they both know, hey, we're in the same location and they would match, match based on that. So really, it's up to the individuals to try and reach out to one another. But um, I've also had requests from women that are super shy or don't feel comfortable reaching out. And so I'll reach out on their behalf.
1: So what kind of things are these buddies doing for each other then?
4: Um, At first, it was just, you know, in my mind, it was like errands going to the drugstore, grabbing supplies for babies or toddlers or small children. And I think it quickly became, uh, you know, a resource in terms of, mental health and well being for um, one another, you know, somebody to rely on somebody to have a a chat with a conversation, uh, sharing stories and commonalities, you know, just just knowing you have a friendship support and a network there is half the battle
1: because you know a lot of parents you know we went into this this lockdown and obviously all of a sudden we're now you know we're parent, we're we're working from home we are parenting we are homeschooling we are still trying to maintain a house and as a single parent that is very overwhelming but as a single parent who now has lost their support network because of physical distancing that's also particularly difficult
4: very difficult um I don't think it's normal for any of us to be isolated 24-7 in the house with anybody as much as you love the people that you live with and create it. These human beings, you know, everybody needs space and and room to breathe. And we have six in our family. So we have from seven years old to 18 years old. And I have to admit, I was pretty overwhelmed in the beginning and anxious thinking, like, how am I going to, you know, be in this household with six people Um, And I felt quite trapped, to be honest, I was kind of embarrassed to admit it, I had to go through my own little process of, you know, trying to get my anxiety down. And so the the opposite of that is having no support, which, you know, I've been there too, so I can see both sides of the coin. And just even having, you know, saying, I need a breather, I need a break, I need to 5, 10, 15 minutes to myself and realizing that Single moms were taking so much on their shoulders, not even re- really knowing how to navigate, you know, some quiet time or some breathing space for them and their children. Okay, so what's the
1: future hold for the Single Moms Buddy program?
4: I think it's a, a pretty bright future. I've, I'm excited to uh, say that it's now a registered not for profit. Um, that's been finalized. We have our first board of directors meeting next week, so I have four. Amazing women um, that are going to be members of the board just started. Uh, just growing and developing, I've applied for a grant for um, to kind of expand the single mom's buddy off of Facebook a little bit. So we came up with this idea of an app that would be a you'd be able to buddy yourself kind of thing, sort of similar to a dating app where you could go in and look for a friend, single mom friend. You know, you can put in your age, how many kids you have, their ages, where you live, some commonalities and interests, and get buddies based on that. Whereas right now in the Facebook group, you can really only buddy up based on location. Uh, so that's, that's something as well as expanding some of our services, uh, programming, workshops, things like that in the future.
1: Okay, so if people want to join your group on Facebook or know more about uh, maybe starting a chapter in their area, that
4: kind of thing, where can they go? Um, So on Facebook, it's called Single Moms Buddy Program, and it's the Ottawa chapter, as well as you could reach out to me, Natasha Rose Transitional Coach. Um, I also have a website. Uh, Yeah, for more information, please feel free to reach out to me.
1: Okay, excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you.
5: Taste the meaning of expensive taste.
1: Joining me now is Anne Brody. And Anne, I have to tell you, I laughed when I saw your the what we're gonna talk about today because the first thing that struck me was we actually now have movies coming out of isolation. It's a great trend. It's going to go on for a while, I suppose. I mean, I'm sure everyone's been busy with
5: their iPhones. But BritBox has this sensational series called Isolation Stories, and it's um, with famous British actors. We don't know well. You might know uh, Sheridan Smith and Robert Glenister and Eddie Marsan, but they're very famous in England. And so they actually shot in a socially distant manner family stories. So they were dramatized a bit, but each one, each episode is a different person dealing with socialized isolation. And the opening one is Sheridan Smith and she's alone living in the middle of nowhere and heavily pregnant. And so she's, she doesn't have a man and she's scared to be so remote. She's scared that she's pregnant and alone. She's scared there's not someone around to help look after her. The emotions that come out in that thing is just incredible. And she's a comedian, so she
1: actually adds a bit of that. Well, you know, that's the thing that we're going to have a billion isolation stories coming out of this and each one unique as we all sort of struggle with the different aspects of this. And another one, talk about unique, is a
5: young boy having to look after his father who has dementia in their house with no help. and yet it's not, just, it's not upsetting as much as it's just very human. It's an inspired series on BritBox.
1: Excellent. Okay, so what else do we have to look forward to this week? Huh, the Ghost of Peter Sellers.
5: Oh, my goodness. Peter Sellers, as we learn in this uh, documentary, that was made by Peter Medak, who shot his film uh, Ghost in the Noonday Sun, which you've never heard of because it was never released. Peter Sellers was such a problem on the set, he poisoned the set. And as we learned from this director, who's still traumatized by it, and it happened 43 years ago, uh, Sellers had undiagnosed mental illness. So he would do things that a regular filmmaker wouldn't do, considering the amount of money we're talking about and time and effort and stuff. So, oh my God, his stories are just would curl your hair. Uh, really, really interesting. And if you like British humor and Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan, who were very famous in the sixties and seventies, it's, uh, (laughs) well, it's really funny, but it's also so weird. You never see that kind of waste today in films. That's for sure. Yes. And I want to talk about HBO's re-upping of Perry Mason based not on the t- uh, 50s TV series, but on the actual original novel by uh, Earl Stanley Gardner, which was set in the Depression. And I didn't know this about Perry Mason. He had PTSD from World War I. Um, he had no money. He was, he was a depressive and an alcoholic. And uh, it's pretty grim, this reimagining of Perry Mason, starring Matthew Reese, and he's so good. So, you know, Perry's not making it. Um, and, but then a case lands in his lap, the kidnapping of a child. So he gets back on it. And I'll say that uh, Tatiana Maslany, who's Canadian, plays an evangelical radio preacher. And she's part of the mix. It's just, it's interesting. It's really grim and noir. I can't go through the whole thing. I mean, I can't watch the whole series because it's just too grim for me. But it's interesting if you like to know the origin story of Perry Mason.
1: Okay. So 7,500 I watched, and it was, I, I found that very, uh, it gave me anxiety. How did you find it?
5: Claustrophobic as hell. It's all shot in this cockpit. You never leave the cockpit. Once at the end, and just like a foot away from it. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt and a, a German actor are in, the, are in you know, flying the plane from Berlin to Paris and all's well. And then five men rush the cockpit terrorists to take it down, to do a suicide mission, to avenge the murders of, of Muslims by the West. And it's 45 minutes of improvise, solid improvisation from Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who we both think is terrific. Dealing with the murder of his captain, in this cockpit, his own wounding, the people eventually making it into the cabin and what happens subsequently. But it honestly, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how Joseph Gordon-Levitt stayed in that incredible uh, sequence in character. Well, he's trained, that's why, but it's just breathtaking that he's done this kind of thing and so worth it just, just for
1: that. Um, Highly recommended. Okay. So for more, episodes, we don't have a lot of time left, but you, you say quickly the, with Padma, who is it? Yeah, so- Taste the Nation with Padma Lakshmi. She's yeah. a famous cookbook
5: author, was married to Salman Rushdie. She goes to various areas of the States and tries food. Honestly, my mouth was watering. I had to get, make gulla red rice right afterwards, and it was incredible. Recipe based on 400-year-old slave recipe in Charleston, uh, South Carolina.
1: Really good series, oh boy. Okay, excellent. So for all of these, people can find them up at what she said, talk.com and uh, we'll have a video up on social. Great. Thanks, Candace. Thanks, Anne.
3: Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
6: You might have a mom, she
0: might be the bomb, but ain't nobody got a mom like mine.
1: Her love's till the end, she's my best friend. Ain't nobody got them all like mine. Joining me in the studio now is Jen Schlumberger and Leslie Best, two mothers that found themselves caught up in a medical nightmare when their children developed pandas. Despite the name, there is absolutely nothing cute about it and it's something I think all parents need to know about because it is on the rise. Welcome to the studio Jen
6: and Leslie. Thank, Thank you. you.
1: So first let's define
6: what pandas is. Pandas is an acronym that stands for pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric disorder. Wait, did I say that right? I have got it as uh, memorized my spiel. Okay, yeah. Pediatric <laughs> oh, no, autoimmune. autoimmune I'm sorry. I'm not um, sure.
1: <laughs> but you were it was good, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, neuropsychiatric disorder associated with strep.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it appears that the onset of PANDAS is maybe slightly different in every child, sort of in the intensity of the symptoms. But could you describe to me, Jen, tell me how your, the onset happened for you?
6: Yeah. So for us, it was a week and a half after just a general run-of-the-mill cold, sore throat, coughing kind of thing. A week and a half later, um, my daughter had acute onset OCD. So um really intrusive thoughts, thoughts that were, um, she was really anxious and worried and, um, uh, you know, uh, something's going to hurt her, um, uh, confessional thoughts that she did something wrong, um, that she was the, and it just rapidly overnight within 24 hours, it just peaked. Um, one night at bedtime, she said, mommy, mommy, Im- Im- my mind is telling me, imagine I was dead. And your daughter is how old? Five. Right. So terrifying. Terrifying. Okay. And her mind doesn't race like that. So I knew that her thinking was out of whack. I knew it was um, OCD. Um, So I quickly Googled acute onset OCD. And that's when I saw Pans Pandas. And I knew in my core that this is what she had. And everything
1: lined up for Everything lined
6: up. She also had this uh, frequent urination, um, felt an urge to pee. Uh, like thirty times that day, it had been getting worse over the last couple of days, so she had that as well. Um, so I knew right away that I had to take her into emerge.
1: Okay, and Leslie, what was, you have not just one child but two. Mm-hmm. So what was what was sort of the triggers for you? Well, my son had,
0: uh, throughout his elementary years, transient tics, and um, he eventually got a Tourette's diagnosis. But it wasn't until our daughter, just six months after his Tourette's diagnosis, came home with very sudden facial tics and blinks. And shortly after that, she lost her uh, ability to speak. She developed an overnight speech block. And we were lucky enough that when we took her to our family doctor, he recognized it and said, I think you guys have pandas. We had been sick about four weeks prior one of our kids we'd taken them all in because everyone was sick had the cold cough what have you and uh, one of them went on antibiotics but the other two hadn't and it was the youngest one that flared
1: wow
7: mm-hmm.
0: so you were t- so
1: antibiotics is the treatment yes for this but it's not your typical five-day ten-day round of antibiotics it's how many days
0: typically we started with 30 and then went to six months That's just crazy
1: to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and so your experience so far, because this happened for you in early December, you've
6: had a round of four weeks and now you're trying a new one? Um, So it took us a month to actually get someone to listen to us and um, give us a prescription. So a month in, we got our first prescription and it was a a 10-day course of amoxicillin. Um, And then after only being off it for a few days, symptoms started coming back fast and furious. So now we're on a six-week course of antibiotics and we're two weeks into that
1: okay so let's circle back to what you said there you said getting somebody to listen to you Mm -hmm. which seems to be right now because this is a a sort of a new developing uh, condition uh, that people are probably not aware of and particularly in the medical community Mm -hmm. so what has been your experience with that
0: Oh, it's so frustrating. Um, We were very lucky where our family doctor recognized it right off the bat. We got into a great specialist right off the bat, so we're very blessed. But we've been affected in different ways, where my son, um, his appendix ruptured, and I had to take him to the hospital. This was just two years ago. And every nurse, you know, when you've got a child in emergency and you're going through those situations, everybody wants to know their medical background. Everybody, the ultrasound tech, everybody, every nurse. So I had repeated it over and over and over again that he had pandas, and every single one didn't know what I was talking about right up to the surgery. And that was medical professionals, mm-hmm. none of them had heard of it in our hospital.
1: And you don't have a medical background, so of course you you no doubt feel like, well, God, are they? You know, are they questioning my sanity exactly. here? Right.
6: You definitely feel there. You get looked at as a hysterical mother a mm. lot. Um, I keep saying this is the fibromyalgia of the pediatric world, where um, you know a lot of people air quote you have pandas, mama. Mm. Uh, you can't accept that your child has mental. health Health issue, or behavioral, Sh- yeah, or problems. behavioral problem. You just your kids having tantrums that is absolutely not the case sure kids have mental health issues and tantrums Mm -hmm. and and oppositional defiance and those things but um, these are just symptoms of the autoimmune reaction that's happening Mm -hmm. Um, so I think well it definitely goes misdiagnosed a lot a lot of kids are put on psychiatric medication as a first step
2: um, which makes
6: it worse so it's not to Mm -hmm. say that that can never be helpful at some point in treatment but you need to treat the autoimmune Mm -hmm. condition so it's a really really tough diagnosis to get to get someone to listen to you to take you seriously to not be seen as a hysterical mother um but when you know you know when your child changes yeah. their personality yeah. changes yeah. and for us it was very quickly mm-hmm. um So you have to advocate. But you didn't even know that your daughter had
1: strep. You thought she had just had a cold, right? So it's important for parents to recognize that as well, that sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, a child can have strep and you you don't know it. You've not treated them with antibiotics. Very much so. Very
0: much so. Strep can be very asymptomatic where you have no idea. Mm -hmm. And they swab. um, We have a a member in our family that will show no... no signs of strep, mm-hmm. and if they str- swab her, it will mm-hmm. come back positive. Yeah. She never has a sore throat; yeah. doesn't compare
6: nothing. And you can get strep in other parts of your body yes. as well. You can have nose. perianal strep. There's yeah. a word for you. Yes. Yeah. there's a word for the radio. Yeah, strep. Uh, yeah, so yeah. it can be in other parts of your body. In the
1: well. stomach,
0: in yeah. their nose. Um,
1: yeah. And so the key with this with pandas is to catch it early, though, which has got to be frustrating because you've got a medical community that's mm-hmm. that seems to be not as informed as they should be about mm-hmm. it, uh, and and then you know if you delay past sort of that six week, Mark, this is something that can be very, very long term, similar to Lyme disease if it's not mm. caught and treated earlier.
0: It's a slippery slope.
6: Right. Absolutely. And Lyme can actually be a trigger for this as well. So it's important that it's not just always strep. It can be microplasma. It can mm-hmm. be other infectious bacteria, virus triggers. It can be environmental triggers. Yeah. Um, so getting to know what Triggers your child specifically is also part of the process, um, and mm. yeah, treating it early—the uh, less time your child, like your child's body, is attacking its own brain, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, getting that inflammation down um, is key. So, so I really feel strongly that we need to, you know, have more family doctors, pediatricians, teachers, and parents educated about this as a first line of defense, yeah. so that we can act quickly. If make sure, let's rule out the other things. It's not this, this, and this. And okay, yeah, you've got these symptoms. Let's put you on a round of antibiotics. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying you have to start with a 30 day course. No. Let's just start with, you know, and see how it goes from there. Because, but let's yeah, get you on it asap. You noticed an improvement within
1: five days yeah. of antibiotics. So yeah. you know that is is sort of will tip you off
6: to whether this is Absolutely. helping or not, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And if this was quote-unquote, just a mental health thing, it wouldn't react to antibiotics. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't see improvement. And also Advil. Advil um, is another way to help reduce the inflammation. So Advil as needed, Advil Rescue, mm-hmm. as all the parents in the groups know it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, it. You can see a difference, and it, it helps your child. So that is just further proof to me that this is inflammation, inflammation. that something's happening in the brain. Um, if it was regular run-of-the-mill OCD or whatnot, Advil wouldn't help. Antibiotics wouldn't help.
1: And how many children
6: um, do you think are affected by PANDAS?
1: The number
0: that gets thrown around often, not, I shouldn't say thrown around, but the statistic is 1 in tw- 200 are yeah. affected. I, I don't believe that 1 in 200 are diagnosed. Diagnosed. No, no
6: absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I even read um, one doctor said this is the new peanut allergy. So oh, wow. yeah. And the naturopaths we saw too, she's like, this is on the rise, this is coming. And because there's a genetic component potentially and then an environmental component, which is the same as peanut allergies because of the genetic factor and the environmental factors as well. So um, it is so important for people to Mm -hmm. know about this and to know the signs and symptoms. Okay,
1: so signs and symptoms. Let's talk about those. Wow. We've
6: we've checked all the boxes over the years.
0: Um, We've had verbal tics. Facial tics, body tics, OCD, urinary problems, speech problems, rages, separation anxiety, sleep disruption, food restrictions,
1: and these things though, I, I guess, I guess the the defining thing about all of this yeah. though is that it seems to be, it comes on suddenly.
0: Yes. Initially, it comes on suddenly. And then as flares come on, like I can last last spring, my daughter came out of school. She said to me, I have a sore throat. And she was immediately blinking. Mm. It was that fast. And that was a flare that lasted about six weeks. So it was, I think every time is different.
1: Mm -hmm. Every flare is Mm -hmm. a little different. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as a parent, this is going to be very stressful. Mm
6: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where did you turn uh, for support? So. For me, for the first three weeks, I hid. Um, I was scared. Um, I was in the trenches. I didn't even have time for social media. I'm usually pretty active and involved. Um, But then after that, um, I actually had uh, seen an article that another parent um, had shared. She was um, interviewed by CBC about her experience with Pans Pandas and I shared her article and said, this is exactly what we're going through. And from there, the floodgates opened, DMs started happening and I started sharing more about it publicly and I found some Facebook groups and it's Mm -hmm. been an incredible support.
1: Okay, good. And this this is the same experience for
0: you, Leslie? Online as well. Yeah. And I felt I hid like you as well. At first, you're like, no one's going to want to hear this. No one's or, um, you know, I just don't even know how to speak about it. And then I, I started talking to people. And then I wrote an article and that really blew it up and connected me to a whole bunch of people.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So is there a website that you would recommend
6: people go to if they want to actually read about it and catch up on it? it. Yeah, there's a few. So um, pandasnetwork.org, pandasppn.org, med.stanford.edu. Stanford's really taken the lead. A lot of people, a lot of Canadians have gone there for treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, those are really great places to start okay
1: thank you so much for joining me Uh, we have a much more in-depth interview on the podcast so be sure to go to apple or spotify and download that now uh, to hear a lot more about how these two mothers have pursued treatment and support and have uh, learned to take some self-care for themselves in such a stressful time thank you for joining me so much in the studio thank Thank you. you for having us We could all use right now is a little more laughter in our lives. Named Comedian of the Year by the Southern California Motion Picture Council, Carla Collins is an award-winning comedian, actress, television radio host, and best-selling author of Angels, Vampires, and She is also the creator of Comedic Meditation and is joining me today to tell us all about it. Welcome to the show, Carla.
7: Hi, Candice. How are you, love?
1: Oh, I'm great. I so I this came across an email and I thought we I want to know more about this. Um, because I think obviously laughter is the best medicine, and we are so stressed out. So how did you come, come up with
7: this? You know, it's an interesting origin story. Um I uh Well, I'm a stand-up comedian, and I think for a long time I've tried to marry, or I'm very interested in marrying both comedy and spirituality, because I think they have a lot in common, and uh, I also always wanted to take sort of the preciousness and woo-woo out of meditation, because some people think it's weird or... Has, you know, is this Satan's work? I'm like, no, it's just the most wonderful thing you can do for yourself. And uh, I also was uh, a family friend, had hired me to um, do some personal training for her much, much older husband, who was in his eighties and there wasn't a lot of uh, weightlifting we could do. So I ended up doing, um, for the last half of our sessions, for a half hour, I would write my own guided meditations and he loved those. So it just sort of came together organically uh, that a place not far from me here in Los Angeles, a wellness center, uh, was having a night where someone was going to come and do some breath work and the person flaked on them. And I said, you know, I could do some comedy and then lead everybody through a guided meditation. And there's actually some science behind it, Candace, because when you're laughing, which is great. You're releasing endorphins. Uh, laughter and meditation both put your—it's um, the same brainwave. It's—they it's both produce a gamma state, as it were. And uh, also, if you're like me, I'm basically always shaking like a Chihuahuan meth after a couple of five-hour energy <laughs> drinks. I'm very—I'm like a hyper, hyper A-type person. So meditation was always something for the longest time. I'd say, oh yeah, I do that. You know, like flossing your teeth. You're kind of lying to your dentist, like every day, not really. Um, so i found that uh, for me, if I'm doing stand-up and what some of the people who attended were finding, you get out of your own head. You know, you start laughing, you get your mind off things, and then you're able to go into a much deeper state of relaxation, you know, so is.
1: How have you been helping people then through, uh, as we work through this pandemic, how are you doing that with them um, at a distance?
7: Exactly. So when this happened, I had just launched this and had done a tour in, um, in Ontario. Uh, so I offered people uh, one-on-one privates. Uh, so we would just do it through Messenger or WhatsApp or Zoom and then sometimes a little larger group. And now uh, I'm going to be doing live streams, the first one on June 24th here at the Whitefire Theatre. Uh, my buddy owns this theatre. It's a fundraiser for them as well. And uh, it's the only theater in L.A. that has the capabilities of live stream. So now people can do this all over the world and there'll be great sound quality. And it'll just be, you know, a couple people there, like the theater owner, the tech guy, uh, as I call him, my older gentleman lover, Jorge, who does uh, some of the outfit designs for me. So we'll have, a, you know, maybe just a handful of people, if that. So everybody stays safe. We're social distancing. And this way can plug it in all over the world.
1: Okay, so you talk about something called Kairos time. Am I saying that right?
7: I, it's actually, I had to look up the pronunciation for that. Kairos time.
1: Kairos. Ah, awesome. So what does that mean?
7: Uh, well, as it was explained through a friend, it's, it's called a very opportune time or harvest time. You know, we have Chronos time, which is chronological order. And Kairos is, is also uh, known as God's time. So it's uh, time for the opportunity. Um, time for change. When things are ripe, when it's it's very positive, and so because obviously it's very end of timesy right now, and obviously made a lot of jokes about poor twenty twenty gets attacked in a lot of memes, but we can also choose to look at all all that's happening as a really great time of change and 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 time. You know, it's all the, your perspective. And And I feel,
1: sorry to interrupt, but I feel that that is actually sort of a a thread that's going through a lot of women I know right now. They've had 90 days in isolation, you know, a lot of time to think deeply about where they want their life to go. And I think that that is what a lot of people are thinking is, okay, how do I change
7: things now? Well, I'm just a big believer in, I mean, look, look, there's always stimulation and I, I, you know, I'm very malleable. I used to joke that I would join a cult that had any good sales pitch, (laughs) of course. You know, as women, we're pleasing everybody and others and caregivers and all the tropes. You know them all, Candice, doing this show. But I think we, we often give our power away. Like, I find, like, everything has become a cult or a multi-level marketing thing where we're like, we're going to find it through our yoga instructor or through this. But really, I really believe, and not to sound cliche, I just think all the answers are within and... You know, whether for you having this moment just gives you a good laugh and some nice escapism, or you look within, some people find they have real epiphanies or they're struck with some great inspiration, or you just get a great rest or a nap. (laughs) Sometimes that's all we need is just to turn everything off for a moment and take some time for ourselves.
1: Okay. So if our listeners want to join in on this on the 24th, how would they do that?
7: I think probably the best way, cause I'll you can learn more about it or see, you know, watch some videos of it is to go to my website website, which is comedic com, And the Eventbrite link is there and we keep it, We've kept it really cheap. It's just nine 99 so that everyone can participate. Cause I know it's been a crazy time for a lot of people financially. And, then it also helps uh, a, a Los Angeles theater that suffered through this to stay alive. So, uh, Yeah, comedicmeditation.com, and then maybe if you have other, that's also a direct link to me if you have other questions.
1: Wonderful. We're going to put that up on the video that we're going to put it on social as well, and uh, I think I'm going to join you on the 24th. I could use a little laughter myself.
7: Oh, I hope you do. I'd love for you to do that. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much for joining me today.
7: Thanks. Get ready to chuckle and chill.
3: Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
1: According to the Rally Report, a study conducted by Canadian Women and Sport in partnership with Canadian Tire Jumpstart Charities, sport participation levels for girls is showing a dramatic decrease. Joining me today to discuss the why behind this shift is Alison Sandmeyer Graves, Chief Executive o- Officer of Canadian Women and Sport. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So when was the study conducted?
8: So we collected this data in January and February of this year, uh, before the world as we know it changed dramatically. You'll have to do a new
1: study, of course, post-COVID, to see how yeah. this affected things.
8: I, we know for sure it's going to impact things, so we're very curious to see what it looks like after the fact.
1: Let's talk about what you found, though, in this one.
8: Absolutely.
1: What were some of your findings?
8: Well, uh, I would say the major finding is that uh, participation in sport by girls drops dramatically as they leave childhood and go through their teen years. Uh, we saw that up to 62% of girls are not participating in sport. And of those that are, one out of every three participating will drop out of sport during their teen years, which when you consider the benefits that sport offers to people throughout their lives uh, is particularly troubling.
1: And compared to boys, boys are one in 10, Correct
8: they are so the fact that boys are staying in sport more successfully or longer than girls really tells us that we need to pay particular attention to the experiences that girls are having and solutions that will keep them engaged longer
1: what were some of the reasons behind why girls are dropping out at such a drastic rate
8: so this is a question that we asked the girls themselves and what we heard that 43 percent of them struggling with what we would call the quality of sport. So feeling as though the experience being provided to them is not really designed for them, not built with their needs and interests in mind. Um, And by extension, the coaching that they're experiencing as well just isn't quite working for them. Uh, They also talked a lot about feeling like they don't belong, like they're not welcome there. So all of this combined is not making a particularly compelling case for girls to, to show up. And, um, that is quite problematic.
1: You know, people, somebody might be listening to this and going, well, so what, right? So what girls aren't participating in sport. What would you say to that? Why is this so important?
8: So girls staying in sport is important for them, first and foremost, because in addition to the physical and mental benefits and well-being that sport can create, it also helps to develop confidence and resiliency and leadership that translates into success in school and careers and ultimately contrib- contributing sorry to their communities. Um, And for the rest of us, you know, strong, healthy women create strong, healthy communities. And so it's, uh, it's in everyone's interest to ensure that girls are staying in sport long enough to reap these benefits. And so we're all better as a result.
1: Does your organization have recommendations for things we can do to keep girls in sports through adolescence?
8: Yeah, you know, the issue is complex, but the good news is that there are a lot of things that people can do, whether it's you're a parent, whether you're in media, uh, whether you're a coach or someone who's responsible for a sport. uh, There are many different avenues to create change. Uh, Really, what we're focused on is making sure that girls are getting the skill development throughout their experience. They're having a strong, positive Uh, social uh, experience or environment to participate in, that they're safe, and other factors like that. And there are some great tools and resources that can help people better understand the role that they can play and how to best support girls through that. And those can be found on our website at womenandsport.ca.
1: And you also have, uh, since we're on this, uh, you, you also have very active social channels that we're going to throw up on this video. So uh, where are those uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter?
8: You got it. Yeah, Women and Sport CA is where you'll find us. Uh, frankly, one of the best sources of insight and information current events on women and sport in Canada. And if you're looking for webinars, online learning, virtual events like ones that we're holding really soon these can all be best found uh through those channels
1: and tell me a little bit about i'm curious about a virtual event uh what does that look like for you now uh during this pandemic
8: well we are a national organization and we've been hosting Events, more like webinars for a long time, Uh, but these events are obviously the the hot new thing, right, to bring Canadians together in a virtual setting uh, with an opportunity to hear from experts, uh, from people who are... Uh, you know, doing their best to put these practices into action. And in fact, we have one uh, this Tuesday with some of Canada's top female athletes helping to really rally girls to the idea of what staying in sport can mean for them.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. I encourage everybody to go read the rally report and get their girls into sports.
8: Thanks so much for shining a spotlight on this.
1: That's it for What She Said for this week. Be sure to follow me on What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts with Dr. Cam Carr and Alison Sandmeyer-Graves. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region.
3: previous episodes of what she said on 1059theregion.com
6: come on a journey like no other where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier healthier and more stress-free life and the beauty is you don't need any vacation time for this adventure the journey will come to you join avery rich on your very own journey into yoga